Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Thanks for having me on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm based in New York City. Ah, nice, nice, very nice. And tell us a little bit more about your background. In particular, let's talk about the academia side of things. I think you're involved with possibly MIT and, and other organizations. I am. I've had this very interesting dual journey. I started mm. my career as a software engineer and very early on realized I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. As I looked to understand what do I need to do to get that role, I realized it wasn't just about being a great engineer. Yes, I needed those skills, but there were all mm. these other skills, leadership, communication, networking, negotiating, hiring, team building. No one ever taught me this stuff. They don't teach it in school. So I had to develop it in myself. And as I was learning this, I realized these skills are not just for the top people. They're not just for the executives. Everyone benefits by having it. So I began to train up my team. Now, as I was doing this, MIT had done some surveys of companies asking about what skills are you looking for? And they came back with the same set of skills, leadership, communication, networking, negotiation, not just for MIT grads, not just for college grads, but universally for everyone, all disciplines, all levels. These are the skills that they want and can't find. So MIT wanted to put together a program to develop these skills. And when I heard about it, I reached out, I said, why have some content? I thought that was going to be a one-time meeting, here you go. But after talking to them, they said, please help us develop this. And then said, you know, even though we have all these world-class professors from Sloan, from the School of Engineering, we don't have practitioners. And so we would love if you could come teach alongside them. And so I and other folks like me have now been teaching there for over 20 years. So I've had this parallel career as a CTO, building startups, helping large international organizations innovate, but then in parallel, the teaching at MIT and elsewhere, the speaking, and now the book as a dual career. Yeah, excellent. And, and the book, The Career Toolkit, that's what actually details all of that and takes people through that. Now, you mentioned just before about developing your teams. Tell us a little bit more about that. What are you thinking there? Well, as I mentioned before, these skills are not just for senior people. Right. And what we need to do as leaders is to develop these skills in our teams. The reason we want to do this is not only because it benefits our team, but also today during the Great Resignation, increases engagement. So there's a simple way you can do this. And I go through it in more detail on the resources page of my website. There's a completely free download. What you want to do is create peer learning groups. So put together groups of, I recommend six to eight people, but you can scale it up. And you have these folks get together, engage with some content. 
Now, yes, you can use my book and they read 15 pages of my book and then talk about it. If you don't want to use my book, use a different book, use an article, use a video, use a great podcast like this one, listen to the episode. But the key is they come together and discuss it because the way we learn these skills, it's different than how we usually learn. If you're learning accounting, okay, what are the accounting rules? I'm going to write them down, memorize it. The way you learned history in school, memorize the dates. There is no date to memorize for leadership. There's no formula for communication. You can't just memorize it. So when we come together in this group and we all read about leadership, as we have that discussion, I hear your perspective, you hear mine. We start to learn. So in the group says, I have a leadership challenge coming up. Here's what I'm thinking about. And the rest of us then help her out and we talk through it. And that gives us a chance to practice and think about things. Someone else says, oh, I have a similar case. Here's what worked, here's what didn't. And that's what really develops those skills. It's in that discussion and not just from a book or a podcast. Obviously, I'm a fan of both, but that's the start of the discussion, not the end. And if you create this group, remember, there's no cost. It's free to download this program. If you want to use content like a podcast, completely free. If you use a book, okay, you pay for the book. You get as a benefit, one, you're upskilling your entire team. Two, you're increasing employee engagement. They feel, wow, you care about me. You're helping me. You're not just saying, here's your paycheck, go to your job. Three, you're increasing internal networking, those relationships that help people work more effectively and keep them more engaged and happier in the organization. And four, you create a common language. If, for example, your book is good to great, well, then you can say, oh, hedgehog model. Everyone says, oh, right, hedgehog. I read that chapter. I know exactly what you mean. So you're building that common language. So you get these four benefits all for free and you can upskill your entire team. Oh, that's brilliant. And Mark, I think you might be even the fifth one too, whereby they actually go and apply it because they've learned it, they've networked, all these things you've talked about. But then it actually takes that learning, that richness of it and going and applying it back into the workplace. That's awesome. And then and so the business is going to experience a way better person, people more happier, as you're saying. Oh, I think it's a fantastic idea. It's oh, really good. What happens if everyone in your organization was... 1% better at leading, Wow. 1% better at communicating, at negotiating, at team building. What will that do to your bottom line? And now what if it's more than 1%? You can get massive returns. You don't have to boil the ocean, but just helping everyone a little has a huge ROI for your organization. Yeah. And over a year, two years, five years, it just makes a massive difference. Hey? Yeah. I think that's great. Very good. Now, we've, we've been talking a little bit about a little bit more about your background as well. And I see part of your bio that you're, you've been a you know, top ranked Borum dancer. I was throughout my 20s. I competed all over the US. I went to England a couple of times and competed in ballroom dancing. I was pretty hardcore. There are four different styles of dance. Most people do one or two. I wanted to do all four. And so I trained in all four styles. I said, if I'm flying out or driving out to a competition, I want to spend as much time on the floor as I can. It's a wonderful activity. Not only is it a great sport in terms of exercise and fun, I met wonderful people. It's a great community, lots of friendships, I expanded my network. It even helped with my leadership and public speaking. So I got some great externalities from it as well. Yeah, Mark, I wrote an article a couple of years ago on LinkedIn. Actually, I was interviewed for the article and then I used it as, and I had permission to use it. And on that article, I talk about a few things to help you when you're presenting up front or speaking and so forth. And one of those things were go and learn to dance. And uh, people were like, what? And I'm like, yeah, because it helps you understand the floor. It helps you become more confident. It helps you understand how you can stand in your core and all that. And I think it's, it's a good idea that people do that and take from there. So did you go to Blackpool? I did not go to Blackpool. I wish I did. Blackpool is 
the number one ballroom competition in the world. Yes, they're the world championships, but Blackpool is the place. And I always wanted to go, but the timing never worked out. I did have friends who went to Blackpool. Yeah, wow. It would be wonderful to dance here. Yeah, it'd be really cool. So what I'm really quite keen to understand here is your leadership experience. How did you get into leadership or what's been your experience around leadership? It wasn't necessarily intentional at first. As I mentioned, I knew I wanted to become a CTO and it wasn't Yep. Almost out of, I want to lead. It was, I looked at the challenges that a CTO faces. I thought those are some interesting problems. I want to take on those challenges. So I started to develop the skills. Now, leadership, people talk about developing leadership, but I think it's important to understand there's an article I wrote called Leadership is Not Atomic. People say, well, I want to be a better leader. And the analogy I use, that's like saying, I want to be a better basketball player. Okay, fine. What does that mean? So I am in the north central part of the U.S. in the state of Minnesota. So we are in the, the heart. Well, hopefully we're coming out of it, but we've, we have about seven month long winters. So it's chilly. Wow. Seven months. Yeah. It, it, well, depending on how you define winter. Yeah. Yeah. Basically from, from October through, through March or April, we're up on the pretty close to the border of Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And do you follow sports? I do. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sports fan. Now I'm a Minnesota sports fan. If for those of your listeners that are kind of in this area, you know that being a Minnesota sports fan means you're severely disappointed all of the times. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? It means we just, you know, in football, which you as American football, you know, we've had the Minnesota Vikings. They've never won a Super Bowl. The Minnesota Timberwolves basketball team has never won a championship. The Minnesota Wild, formerly North Stars hockey team, has never won a championship. We've just, uh, Minnesota Twins did win the World Series back in 1987, 1991. That's it for major sports championships. And that's baseball World Series, eh? That's baseball, yep. I always laugh how you call it the World Series and I go, how many other countries are involved? It's terrible. It's a very American opinion where we call everything the World Championship when it's only American teams. I'm sorry, but that's a very American perspective. Yeah, it's all good. It's, um, <laughs> we, we, just, we just love it uh, going, oh, okay. But we're world champions in rugby. Does that mean no? Right. And um, yeah, so it's, it's always interesting having that conversation. So I've given the uh, listeners a brief introduction to you and about your background. Is there anything else you'd like to share about uh, about your background? You know, I've, I've done a lot of different things. It's, it's been a very eclectic, interesting ride. So uh, you mentioned a lot of the, the Fortune 500, the nonprofit work I've done. I, I love podcasting as well. So I've had podcasts for poker and disc golf, just all sorts of things. I'm, I'm kind of a let's live life large and try things out. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome attitude to have that in it, live li life large. Do you think people are playing small? Yes, I do. I think I think generally, but you know, I'm 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 very careful not to sort of put my perspective on other people as well. I'm also very jealous of people that just kind of have one thing they do in their life, and you know, so even though I think, man, you're missing out on all of these things, I think, boy, that would take a lot of the pressure off because I feel like I maybe get involved in too many things. I think playing small is interesting too because even though I've done a lot of things, I do think I generally play small. Like I don't really. I suffer from imposter syndrome. I don't know if I'm really, you know, have a lot to offer the world, even though I've done a lot of different things. So I think playing small takes different sort of different forms for different people. Yeah, cool. Now, in the bio and the introduction I did, you're doing some work to transform a community in northern Rwanda. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so several years ago, I, I just sort of got the feeling I wanted to get involved in the AIDS pandemic in Africa. That was where it all started. And year would go by after year, and I would keep thinking, ah, I should do something. I'd send a little bit of money, but eventually I just decided I'm going to try to do two things with at once. I'm going to try to unite 
East Central Minnesota, where I live, it's a rural area, kind of do something that unifies our area because it was very divisive over political grounds, over religious grounds, over all kinds of things. And what can I do to try to unite people here to have an impact over there? And so actually started a community-wide effort to do work to transform a community in Rwanda. And so we have a group that we work with an organization over there that does the day-to-day, what that looks like. And that's everything from, from clean water, disease prevention, microfinancing, education, all kinds of things. They have a whole strategy to help transform the community. And then my role was really, I would bring teams of people over there to meet people, to encourage them, to get the stories, bring that back, and then try to just raise money and raise awareness through, through casting a clear vision for that. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Good on you for doing that. That's really good. I think that's an important part of our role in life to actually help others as well and make an impact in a positive way. Yeah. Which is really good. Well, it changed my life in in dramatic ways as well. Oh, yeah. And in what way? How has it helped you? Oh, just just awareness. I think I think cultural awareness is something a lot of us don't have. And again, especially as as Americans, a lot of times we think this is how the world this is how the world works, right? So being being aware, even though you hear things about it, to experience it firsthand, to talk to people whose children are dying of AIDS, to talk to people who live through the genocide, to get a perspective on what it's like to actually live in a true authentic community where you live and work and play all together all the time and somehow make it work and not drive each other crazy. And just there's so many things. And then, you know, putting on top of that gratitude, you know, every time I turn on the water faucet, I'm I'm grateful. That was never the case before I started going to Rwanda. I think this is miraculous. You know, over there, you know, where we were able to bring in clean water, now that meant that their kids just had to walk 20 minutes down a hill to get water then 20 minutes back up to bring it to their family. And that was crazy how amazing that was compared to what they had before. And that's, you know, that's success. And so I think, I think all of those things uh, just sort of gave me a new worldview toward unity and community and, and generosity. Yeah, interesting you say that about like the gratitude side of things. Well, I come from an island in Greece where my dad's from, a little island below Corfu. So it's the, the island's between Italy and Greece. And so my uncle, who's a heart, lung specialist in that in Australia, has a house on the island. And on the island, we only had running water come from the mainland connected in the year of 2000, I think it was. And he and I were on the island on holiday and he hadn't been there to turn on his tap for the very first time. So we were outside and we would turn the tap on and he washed his hands and his face with the water coming out from the mainland. And it was quite a big deal. And then he and I went inside and on the internet listened to the New Zealand All Blacks play the South African Springboks and rugby game. And it's quite, (laughs) here you think about two different worlds, right? You know, and you never had that running water, but now you do. And then go off and to listen to the on the internet. It's just amazing. But having that gratitude of where you and I and our listeners today possibly are living in a world where things are going on for them. And it's a, probably a little bit, I can say, easier if I can say it that way, mm-hmm. where there's other countries who are struggling. And so gratitude is a big, big thing for us to understand. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the real world, right? As we're talking about this, we have what's going on in the Ukraine and the you know, yeah. political side and talk about everyone. But the refugees is where my heart goes because I mm. know people that are refugees from Rwanda during their genocide. And I, you know, it's one thing to just kind of know that that exists. Oh, that'd be hard to leave your home and and walk, you know, 30 miles or whatever. And then you talk to people that have done it and you feel the weight of that and you realize, wow, this is something going out of the world. These are human beings, no less valuable than you or I. And I think that impacts you. Like it's impossible for that not to impact everything that you do. So for your listeners, yeah, I think, you know, just be grateful. It doesn't mean you have to feel guilty for having a good life. Right. You shouldn't be shamed into feeling bad about your good life. That's great. Just recognize you have a good life. Like you, you won the lottery because you don't have to 
you know, be in those situations. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And then the other flip side is that sometimes we get a little bit annoyed or frustrated about things in life, and then we just have to take a little stock where we are and what's going on around and other other countries too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Steve, how did you get into leadership? Yeah, I would say really by I'm an analytical guy, so I'm an actuary, I'm an investment guy, I'm a finance guy, I'm a math guy, and I got pushed into leadership, I guess, because I was I became good at what I did as an individual contributor. So I didn't really like pursue leadership, but this is sort of what naturally happens is you're an analytical person for a while, you become good at that, and then they say, okay, well, now you're going to be a manager, now you're going to lead other people who are analytical people, and that's how I got into leadership. So I didn't pursue it, and more just like, well, okay, after a while, because I was good at what I did, I got put into positions where now I had a leadership responsibility. Didn't really know about leadership at all. Didn't really want it necessarily. I just wanted to do math. So I, I didn't. I wouldn't say I went kicking and screaming because when you're in the corporate world, right, that's what you should want. You want a promotion, and so I got the promotion. But then I was like, okay, what is this now? Now I have to. Now I have to deal with people and manage people, and it was kind of a different world. It'd be wonderful as an actuary to understand the percentage of leaders that succeeds in their first year or two years and all being numbers. And that'd be quite interesting to know that kind of stat. I'm sure it's out there. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, sometimes that's what happens for us, right? We They, they turn around and go, oh, there he is. Well, there she is. Congratulations. Yep. There's a brand new leader. Go for it. <laughs> right. Good luck. And see you in 12 months time, Steve, in your performance management conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.